you know, that title was, you know, it's simple, but it's, it's just that, you know, like out of darkness and despair and doubt and rejection, you know, shine. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, I've known Ike Indolo for 20 years, and when we first met, he didn't know how to play a single chord on the guitar. But a lot has changed in the last 20 years. And in September 2018, Ike released his third album, Shine, and it is beautiful. Time is truly amazing, and Ike's journey reminded me of this quote from Colin Powell. A dream doesn't become reality through magic. It takes sweat, determination, and hard work. And the more you get to know Ike, the more applicable this quote becomes. Ike grew up in Missouri as the son of Nigerian immigrants, and according to his bio, the life of Ike Ndolo is a woven tapestry of experiences, hymns and Bob Marley, injustice and mercy, discrimination and acceptance. As a result, Ike has become a well-tested navigator of the human experience. His goal is to share and guide listeners through stories that inform and even reorient their perspective. His music heartens back to the its soulful gospel roots, mixing it with new wave R&B, modern influences, and a few choice synth beats to create something that musically mirrors the many worlds he walks through daily. When you listen to Ike's music, he wants you to explore what you think about yourself, consider your negative perceptions, and then choose to shine. He says, we're all afraid of the unknown. And that the world has, to, and what the world has to offer. But more than that, we're afraid of what we have to offer. We're afraid of what's inside and who we are. We're afraid of our potential and what we could be and what we're supposed to be. We're afraid of how brightly we can shine. We bury what we want to do, what we can do, under what we feel we ought to do what's right, what's proper, what's normal. So we get bogged down in these ideas and we never end up taking risk. So look inside ourselves and figure out what we can truly offer to the world. This is a wonderful conversation, an inspirational conversation and message from Ike. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, embrace for impact. Ike Indola, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, my brother. It's I'm super uh, pumped to have you. Thanks for your flexibility in scheduling this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I was reflecting, um, dude, we've known each other for like 20 years. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> and I remember when I first met you, I can't remember exactly if it was when my sister, Mary, was doing the Eutherized Missionary thing with you or if it was my brother John or something in between that. It was actually a little bit before that because I was um I do youth arise before John and before Mary. 
Okay. But uh, we came through California. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. yeah. That was 2001. Yeah. yeah. I just remember just this, just super happy on fire um, dreadlocks. <laughs> you know? just, I mean, and, and you didn't know how to play the guitar at that point or anything. No, no, you know, barely, I think, I, barely. I, I think I remember sitting in a room actually with you and Tam Lee. Mm-hmm. And both of you guys, I think, were teaching yourselves how to play. Yeah, Tam had like a year on me, I think, at that time. And I was like a couple months in. So I was like not proficient at all. <laughs> and here we are today. Yes. You know, and yeah. it's just, it's a, it's amazing. Like, you know, the, the magic of time. Oh, yeah. You know? I know. <laughs> First of all, how fast it slips away. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And the power of if we stick with our gifts and we keep following that rabbit, you know, eventually. Uh, the magic happens, yeah. and we'll talk all about that. But I want to—I'm um, going to go backwards in time a little bit, and uh, to to give people an idea of who Ike is, yeah. where Ike has come from, and what what has shaped Ike to be the man that he is currently in the process of continuing to become. And I like to start out with a quote to kick off that origin story. Yeah. And so there's this quote that I found, and I'm not exactly sure who I heard it from, but it says a dream doesn't become reality through magic. It takes sweat, determination, and hard work. Mm. So, I, I I'm going to toss this question in first because I, I put it out on Facebook last night and it got a huge response. But the question is, what was your first job that you remember? Oh, <clears throat> well, my first job was uh, I was a paperboy. Okay. Yeah, and. Um, that I did that, gosh, I think I was in third, fourth, maybe fourth grade when uh, I first um, started doing a paper route. And uh, yeah, that was my first, that was my first job. What did and, you earn, like two or three dollars? Yeah, I mean, it was nothing. I think I got like 50 bucks a month or something like that. But it yeah. was a lot of money for, you know, for a fourth grader. Um what what uh, what lessons when you think back about that and you think back about the the lessons of putting those uh, you know stacking taking those two stacks of papers and filling them all in and all that stuff and actually delivering the papers on your bike probably what yeah. what lessons come to mind? Uh, life ain't easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know you got to work come rain or shine, you know, um, that was, you know, if it was raining, if it was snowing, it didn't matter. Like people needed their papers, you know? And so, uh, that was, you know, I'd get home after school and, you know, I had like a little bin and, you know, they would deliver the papers, which is always funny to me. This car would come up and deliver our papers. I'm like, you could do that. And like, <laughs> you know, literally a fraction of the time, but they would, you know, give us the stack of papers and we would take them, we would fold them into these little plastic things or rubber bands if it wasn't snowing or raining or anything. And then uh, I would just put them in my, I had a little pouch, this double pouch thing, put them on my, on my bike. And I would just ride my bike around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It took about almost 45 minutes. Actually, initially it was like maybe 30 minutes. But then uh, like the, my route kept getting bigger because people around me kept quitting. So I just 
took their paper out. So I was, a, <laughs> you could say I was a paper boy um, entrepreneur. You know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, last night I posted that my first job was pumping gas. But as you're talking, I actually remember that my, my first job was also like briefly, I had a pay, I had a paper boy route. Nice. Um, that I ultimately, I think I probably sold it to my brother or something. Nice, and, nice. But I can I can remember the smell of mm. the of the ink, the yep. freshly printed inks, okay. and um, and having to take the newspaper and then and then stuff it with the advertisements and the editorial content and all yeah, that stuff. And yeah. The the dirty rubber bands that they give you that you know. And breaking a few on my hands, uh-huh, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. um, you know, when you think back to growing up during that part of your life, who was the wisest person to you? Um, I mean, definitely my my dad. Um, yeah, he. I mean, it was he. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my parents were the wisest. You know, like my dad was had a way of saying things. You know, in a mysterious you know, like way, (laughs) um, (laughs) like what, uh, I don't know, but it wasn't like anything like grand, you know, like, uh, you know, like he would have these sayings that are normal sayings, but then he would just kind of add to them to make them like more of him. So, you know, he'd be like, you know, early to bed and early to rise makes a young boy or girl strong, healthy, wise, intelligent. He would just keep adding things to that. <laughs> you know, keep adding and adding to make it even more stronger, even more him. But yeah, I think uh, my parents, you know, especially I mean, when you're young, those are kind of the wisest people in your lives. And I- I'm sure I had some wise teachers, but nobody that really stuck out in my early years, not, probably not until mm-hmm. you know, um, high school, you know, but um, you know, when my- you think about that quote, the the dream doesn't become reality through magic. It takes sweat, determination, and hard work. What did your parents teach you about sweat, determination, and hard work? Oh, I mean, that was all them. You know, like they came from Nigeria. Um, you know, came you know came into a foreign country um, with a lot of obstacles against them, and um, every day they worked. You know, my dad, you know, worked his tail off. My mom worked her tail off every single day, um, just to make ends meet and to, um, you know, to provide for us, you know, provide for the family. And when you're a kid, you don't, you don't, you kind of take it for granted. You just, kids are, you know, jerks. They just want and need and take, you know, you don't really realize that the sacrifices that parents are making until you're older, like, oh man, or, or at least you're older. Or then when you become a parent, I guess, you know, you're like, man, that's, this is hard. And, you know, kids don't appreciate Jack, but that, you know, like that was, you know, like it is a lot. It's, it was a huge sacrifice for them. One to even be in this country. Like my parents came to, to this country and really, um, and were, they were gone. They didn't get to go home until for like almost 30 years. You know, um, I can't imagine leaving my family and friends for some other place you know, and not being able to go home for 25 years. I mean, that's like crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but it was the sacrifice that they made, you know? So they, I mean, just by their lives, they showed, they showed us that, mm-hmm. you know, showed me that. Yeah. What did they teach you about creativity? Cause I, I look at your family and I'm like, okay, your brother, Kemi is a super creative person. Mm-hmm. You're a creative person. I've never met your sister, she's but I'm assuming creative she's creative. I, she's very, I, I've, I've seen your guys' kind of banter back and forth on social media. And she's very witty. She's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> hilarious. 
She's uh, uh where yeah. Did, where did that where did that come from? Who who's this the wellspring of creativity and what did your parents teach you about it? You know, I don't know, honestly. I was funny because I was just having this conversation with my sister, and I think we've we, you know, the three of us are all we had this kind of repressed creativity, you know, because growing up, I don't I'm not sure if it was super encouraged in the culture that we were around as far as like growing up in Missouri and you know, everyone was kind of doing the same things, playing sports, and that was it. So we, you know, I think we all just kind of tried to do that. And so we all kind of had this latent creativity that was not really fostered because of the community that we were in. And our parents, you know, come from very practical places. But we were also talking about how, like, you know, I think, I think our, like my dad, you know, had this creativity that he probably didn't feel like he was able to express because practically speaking, creativity doesn't really get you, <laughs> you know, doesn't put food on the table. Um, but he was always like trying to like scheme, you know, like he was like trying to start, he always start, start businesses. So he was working, but then he'd start this other business, you know, start a vending machine business. or he started, a, um, he started like a tutoring, you know, like business or something like, you know, like he'd always do these, like, he's always trying to like scheme. So he didn't have to like, work for the man, you know, like that was always like, you know, it was always, you know, trying to do that stuff. And so I think, you know, we, we had the luxury of growing up in a place where you could be, you know, um, creative and you could be, and you could dream bigger. And, and so, um, we had that freedom. And I think at first, you know, for me and my parents didn't understand initially, you know, they were very worried because they like, you, you know, how are you going to like live and make money? And, but, uh, uh, as time went on uh, and I started to get kind of more into the creative side of me, started to make sense, especially when it started to bear fruit, you know? Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it was like one of those things where it wasn't repressed or discouraged. It just wasn't around us. And, you know, so we kind of had to, fight for it. And so now we're all, you know, as we're grown, you know, like we're, you know, my sister has her, um, doctor in physical therapy and she's a physical therapist, but she's mm. starting to write now, you know, she's, she's, uh, she's been writing screenplays and, you know, just sh- stuff like that. And it, they're really good, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, she's been entering into contests and all that stuff. And this is kind of like, you know, she hasn't been doing this her whole life, but it's just something that she always wanted to do, but just didn't feel like she could, you know, mm-hmm, but it's, mm-hmm. it's like all, like it's in all of us, you know? And so for me, I, you know, pick, I picked up the guitar when I was 18, like right before I moved to Arizona for Youth Arise. And, uh, but I'd always wanted to do it. I just don't, didn't know that I had the freedom to do it. Not for mm-hmm. my parents, but because it was like, you know, the, just being a kid sometimes sucks, you know, and you have to like, you, you bow to whatever everyone else is doing. So you just, you know, I, I thought I was going to be in the NBA till, till I was 15. Which mm. Ludicrous, you know, like, <laughs> you know, um, but I, I was convinced I knew it. And that was like, but I, I dreamed hard on that dream. And then sophomore year when I got cut, I'm like, okay, this is not going to happen. And then I played football. I'm like, oh, I'm significantly better at football, but still I kind of came into the game late. And, you know, I'm not going to make a career of this, you know, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, and it was around that time, my senior year, I remember I was just like, it was during our lunch period. And I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go buy a guitar. And I left during lunch and I bought, I went to a pawn shop and bought my first guitar. And, uh, it was, um, 
a really crappy guitar. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I picked it up and uh, and then for like I had it for almost two months before I before I went to Youth Arise in Arizona. Mm. And uh, and I just played uh, what's that one song? Um, Stairway um, to Heaven. No, <laughs> Stairway no, to Heaven. <laughs> no, it's a it's an old like dum dum da da da. Stand by me. Stand by me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I had a friend Doug who was a, a bass player. He was a guitar player, so he tuned my guitar and he taught me that bass line. <laughs> so I played that bass line for two months. <laughs> before because i didn't know i don't know how to, i don't know what to do you know yeah yeah and it wasn't until i went to ether eyes everyone was playing guitar every almost everybody in the house had a guitar and you know so i just started learning and picking up stuff there. Mm-hmm. but uh yeah you know you, you mentioned something that uh that was really important actually and it, it's the fact that we're all wired to be create to be creative yeah i think mm-hmm. um and a lot of it, it, it's it's lying dormant within us. Yeah. You know, it's it's something that needs to be stirred up. And much of the ability for our creativity to be stirred up is dependent upon the community that we're around us. Do they foster that kind of thing? Are they creative themselves? Do they believe that we're all creative and and have gifts and whatever? And uh, and I'd love to learn um, when you like who the first people that really. Uh, that you can recognize or reflect back on that really breathed life into your creative potential. Mm. It was probably when I, when I first went away to Arizona and, you know, everyone that I was doing youth arise with, you know, all my, everyone, everyone was, uh, was new to music or had been playing music for a while. And I was really, uh, I felt really encouraged. Um, well, I'll, I'll back up actually. I before youth arrived, before I left, you know, I was um, I was in this class for two years in high school. Um, it was an African American studies class, and I did it my junior year and my senior year. Um, that teacher, um, who was also one of, the, um, I'll add to the wisdom list. Um, his name is um, Mr. Janda, Mark Janda, and. Um, his uh my <clears throat> senior year you know my, i'm in this class again he's like it's the same stuff <clears throat> but i want you here why don't you do like an independent study and you pick so bob marley was a huge influence to me um musical influence and um just person influence and so uh my first year or my first semester of that class my senior year my independent study was on rastafarianism um, and then the second semester was on, uh, reggae music specifically. And so this teacher was great. He, his final was not like a final test. He did a, um, a final presentation. So you had to like do a presentation on one thing that you're doing. And so, um, my, pres- my final presentation, my second semester was on reggae music. So before this, like right when the semester started, we were walking somewhere and, um, he was like, Hey, I, you know, like you're doing your independent study in reggae music. I want you for your presentation. I want you to write a reggae song. And then I want you to sing that. And I want you to sing that reggae song, which right now I can do a little right now. So it seems like, okay, yeah, you write a song, sing it. That's what you do. But literally I'd never, ever done that before. I had never sang in front of anyone before. No one ever, he'd never heard my voice. I wasn't in any choirs. There was no reason, no context for him to say, 
hey, I want you to write a reggae song. I want you to sing it. I was like, what? So, um, yeah, so that whole semester, I'm doing my independent study. And then, you know, it gets to the presentation part. And, you know, this is like, you know, it's after school, families come and friends come. It's in the, you know, the, the auditorium that we had. And uh, I went through my whole presentation and I'm like, okay, well, um, Mr. Janda wanted me to uh, write and sing a reggae song. I am not a singer. I apologize. And I was acapella and I just sang it. Right. And afterwards, you know, like my mom comes up to me and she's like crying and she's like, it's so great. You know, like that's just moms being moms. (laughs) But uh, then my siblings were like, uh, my siblings who don't lie to me were you know, pretty honest. My brother's like, dude, that was really good. Like you sound really good. I'm like, really? And then my sister, <laughs> she's so funny. She's been funny her whole life. My sister's like, yeah, I was going to leave the room because I didn't want to see you embarrass yourself. But as soon as you started, <laughs> <laughs> but you started before I could leave and it was actually good. I was like, huh. And literally that was a moment. That was the first time. Like, you know, you know like you sing songs messing around in your house, in the shower, but like, you, you know, like, I don't know. I had no idea. And so, mm-hmm. um, for, you know, for, for one, for Mr. Jenda, for, um, to, to be, um, uh, to believe it was almost prophetic, you know, like mm-hmm. that he would d- ask me to do that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and to believe in me so much. And, and then mm-hmm. to be encouraged by my family was pretty amazing, you know, it was pretty mm-hmm. amazing, you know? So, um, that was like the early, that was like the, that was like the catalyst, I think for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. not just singing songs, but writing songs, you know, and, um, it's a shame. I really don't, I seriously do not have that, that song, the first song I think I ever wrote, but you know, I, it's probably floating somewhere in my subconscious. Yeah. Totally. I'll bring it back down, but yeah, that was the first kind of, you know, that was the first time and. But even then, you know, you, you didn't, I didn't do that thinking, ooh, I'm going to make a career of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wasn't ever, you know, that wasn't ever the, the deal. But yeah. Your new album, Shine, is amazing. Thank you. It's it's my kids and I would love listening to it. To my my uh, the most requested song on the album from my kids is Your Table. Oh, nice, nice. And um and then I also love Vapor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great song. Um, and I love Vapor because it specifically talks about our light being buried in us. Yeah, yeah. Know? And. And I actually have written a book that's coming out next year called Master the Key, which is all about the, the fact that we're created with everything that we need to ful- have a, live and have a fulfilled life. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. It's, 
it's forged within us and we just need to go get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that is it, the story. I mean, your the whole album is a story. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's, pro, it's, it's deeply personal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most personal music I've ever heard from you. Yeah. I love to learn a little bit about what catalyzed you to do something so personal. Um, my favorite line in, in your table is uh, dad went to church in some dope shirts. In the white church. Pops went to mass in some dope shirts. Mama made sure we never missed a thing. Blue-eyed Jesus looking down on me. Brown skin always seemed to be the enemy. Well, I don't know where I fit in. Life is a sin for me. Do I have a part to play? Is there a melody that's written for me? Is there a place for me to take? Is there a song all you people can sing? <laughs> you know, so maybe you can you know add a little bit about your the your 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 faith story you know and in terms of how you decided because so many of us you know are are brought up with a faith right and then at some point where where we have the choice to make it our own or to go do something completely different sure and so i'd love to learn a little bit about kind of that yeah um yeah your table was you know i guess your table was uh was really a song probably the most direct biographical song when it comes to you know my life and really talking about like faith and what it was like to grow up you know to be this growing up in in this you know midwest catholic you know um environment you know with you know black you know nigerian immigrant you know parents and, and family and whatnot and kind of things that i had to go through you know as far as identity you know like even like the mentioned earlier the community was like not very was not very creative driven you know um the church that i went to you know we stood we stood out like a sore thumb and you know like a lot of people don't think about that but like it was you know like it's when you're especially me i was a painfully shy kid and i am by my nature a shy person you know like which seems weird for something you know for the for the you know, job that I have and all that stuff. But I, you know, especially when I was a kid, I was, you know, it was, it was hard to be in those situations um, where you're always, always standing out, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so that song, your table, you know, like it was funny because like even that line, you know, it pops when the mass and some dope shirts, you know, like we like my, like not only did we stick out as the only black family, you know, sometimes at the eight o'clock mass, but also, you know, my dad would, uh, he would like always dress up in like his traditional Nigerian <laughs> stuff, which is very colorful. And so we're like, we're always like, no, we stand out, we stand out, you know? And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, um, you know, like I always did feel some type of way about it, you know? And it was, it, it, you, you know, like you can't help sometimes. Well, I, you know, I say this obviously from a, from a, from a, you know, um, person of color, like background, when you're in those environments, you can't help but feel on the outside. You feel you feel on the outside, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, <clears throat> all it takes is one glare, you know, like one, you know, whatever perceived slight or whatever, 
that, you know, you're already in a very sensitive situation, you know, but then you, you look around and you see, you know, you see things that, that you just don't relate to, you know, um, you know, and uh, so that song especially was really trying to give some context for, you know, my faith, my, you know, kind of like the struggles for, you know, faith in that and, and for me in that context, but also just in life, you know, like this, you know, the second verse just kind of talks about school, school and mm-hmm. how, you know, my hometown was, you know, there was a university there. So it was in some ways very progressive when it came to like, you know, racial, like, and you know, um, equality and, 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 um, uh, relationships, but also not, you know, so it was like kind of tug and pull and, you know, you kind of, I, you felt, you felt that as you got older, you know, when your kids, kids are just kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but as you got older and for me, it was like, it didn't take that long, you know, like it didn't take that long to see r- racism. It didn't take that long to f- feel that, you know, it was, you know, it happened pretty early when I'm hearing, you know, you know, when I'm being called, you know, racial slurs, you know, like all the way, you know, as soon as first or second grade, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. you know, like that, those are hard things for, you know, kids, cause kids are mean anyway, but when it, when it's like in that context, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's deeply hurtful. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> those were, uh, things that blocked my faith initially. And, you know, when I was, um, I remember one time there was a, uh, I was, uh, picking up my sister from Sunday school. And, uh, when I say picking up, I mean, I was, she was like, the church was here and then the Sunday school building was here. So I was just walking over to get her to take her back right. to the car. And, uh, I'm walking over there to that building and, uh, our church was in the downtown area of our hometown. And I see this dude who I went to school with, his name is Scotty. He was walking up the street and I just got so nervous because I'm like, Oh man. And, uh, Cause I didn't tell anybody about my church life, you know, like, and so he comes up to me, he's walking over the street and he sees me like I'm in my Sunday best. And he looks at me. He's like, you go to church here. He's like, you know, he's like, he says, Hey, he's like, you go to church here. And I'm like, yep. He's like, cool. And then he keeps walking. I'm like, man, I'm going to catch some hell for that. <laughs> Next day at the, you know, at the, at the, um, at lunch, you know, I see his look on his face. He's got this like sly, like he's about to get me, you know? And so he was like, he just announces to the table, you know, Hey, I, uh, I saw Ike yesterday at the church. He goes to a white church. And, uh, I was like, crap, you know, like, I'm just going to get roasted by all these, by all, you know, these friends. And, uh, I remember clearly one of these guys who I play football with, his name is Josh. He's, uh, he said he shut him down so fast. And I was so grateful. He's like, shut up, Scotty, just because you don't go to church or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was like a relief moment, but it was like in that, you know, like it was these things that like really blocked me. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm sitting at a table with these friends, these guys I play football with and you know, nobody, you know, you know, like it's just all black dudes there. And like, you know, they're, if they're going to church, they're not going to my church, they're not going to this, you know, like very white church. And, you know, um, but uh, it was a it was a hindrance for me. But I do remember that moment, feeling a little mercy, you know, randomly from this guy, you know, like just shutting him down because you know he basically called him a heathen. He's like, just because you don't go to church, you know. And I was like, I was grateful. I smiled. You know, we moved on. 
But it was one of those things where I didn't feel really connected to my faith. It was like one of those things. Like I, you know, like it's hard enough, you know, um, being feeling on the outside, but then, you know, like my faith expression is not like, there's not a lot of black people here. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought like, if I'm going to go to church, like, you know, in the future, I'll, you know, like, I don't know if I'm going to do this Catholic thing, you know, like I didn't really feel a whole lot of attachment to my Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was like, I'll believe in God for the rest of my life, you know, but like, there's a lot of things I threw around. It's like, you know, like I was, I love Bob Marley, you know? So like Rastafarianism was like really attractive. We had a lot of, um, I had a lot of Muslim friends, you know? And like, I really admired their faith because, you know, like there was a ton of Christians, you know, around us, you know, you know, but those kids that were Christian, they were like wild, you know, like they would have, you know, they would talk about the youth group that they went to, but then like, all the other stuff they were doing like that. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, you know? And so, um, but the Muslim kids, my Muslim friends, they were like amazing people had amazing families and they were like really devout. And I was like, that seems cool to me, you know? And like, I was, um, super into that, you know, and, uh, all these things. I just like, I don't know if I'm going to be Catholic, you know, like it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, but you know, my senior year was, um, was kind of what sealed the deal for me as I was getting ready to move on and, you know, like college was looming. And after, you know, after high school life was like on your, you know, like what the heck am I going to do? Um, I had a, I had a, I had a crisis of identity and because of all those years of my mom and my dad pushing through and just making sure that we knew our Catholic faith, you know, like when I had that crisis, identity crisis, I, I went to, I went to church, you know, like, you know, I went to an empty church, an empty chapel. Um, and I just sat for the blessed sacrament because that's what I knew. And it was in those moments, you know, like during, you know, like leaving school early after, you know, in my senior year after, you know, cause I, you know, I didn't have a full schedule and leaving school, you know, I'd said that like going around and messing around with my friends, I went to the chapel, you know, like mm-hmm. it was in those moments that like, I really started to hear God work on me um, mm-hmm. personally, not just, you know, like my mom telling me, my dad telling me, my youth minister telling me, my pastor telling you know, like it was just like me listening to God, you know, and, you know, that was like my, the second semester of my senior year, all the stuff started changing then. I was just like trying to figure out who I was. I started growing treads. I bought a guitar. I heard about Youth Arise. And I was like, that's what I got to do. You know, like it was all because, you know, like it was, it was, um, you know, the cool thing about being Catholic is we don't, you know, like, you know, like you receive the Eucharist and it's not just a piece of bread, right? You believe that something's something is there, something's different. And you just can't do that for your whole life and not be in somehow indelibly changed, you know? And, uh, so in that, it was in that moment for me of that kind of like identity crisis that I turned back to what I knew, you know? This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. 
Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. I think that part of you know the the that your buddy Josh that opened up the door for you to to own your story and to realize that your story was okay. Yeah. And yeah. that, you know, so many of us walk through life, even if we have a, a moment where there's a Josh in our life, mm-hmm. but we still don't own our story. We yeah. don't master that piece of, of the key up to our potential because uh, we're afraid of what that means. Yeah. Right. Right. And as a result of that, we don't leave the door open for us to really truly um, master our gifts yeah. and, to, and to even discover our gifts, which I think that, you know, when we look at, uh, you know, speaking to a couple of your songs in the album, you know, still on your, your, your table, there's that line, if, if life is a symphony, do I have a part to play? Yeah. I think that was, that's an incredibly powerful line also. And then, you know, our gifts are really a reflection of the light that we have. Mm-hmm. And, and in that song vapors, you know, it's it's this it's buried yeah. right yeah and and then as a result of not mastering our story we we end up doing other things that other people say we should do right and we, we end up living a life of comparison mm-hmm. and frustration yeah you know and so how have you gone to to really like allow your gifts to develop into to kind of come to the surface and then bring the light that you have within you out into the world. Yeah. Um, and how can other people, if you were, sure. if you're, if you're like, I mean, you play in front of thousands of people, yeah. you know, thousands and thousands of people. And, and these are people that, that are, are oftentimes younger than you. There were you there, there, um, you, you know, there where you were yeah. at, and where I was, you know, in high school, and they're seeking and they're asking questions, and they're it's their parents' religion, and and then they're they're college students who are getting ready to go out into the world, and and they're everybody's seeking, and I'm yeah. still seeking, you're sure. still seeking, yeah, right? we're all seeking all the time. So, so how how does your music? What what lessons can people derive from your music to? breathe life into their own potential, their own gifts, their own story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's just not being, you know, I think it's the fear thing, you know, we're, we're all afraid of the unknown and what's out there, you know, what the world has to offer. But I think more, more than that, we're afraid what we have to offer, you know, we're afraid of what's inside, you know, like what, who we are, you know, we're afraid of that. We're afraid of, um, you know, what, you know, like potentially what we could be or what we're supposed to be, you know, I think we're, you know, and we're afraid of how brightly we can shine, you know, like, um, you know, like it's, there's a, there's a quote and I don't want to mess it up, but it's, um, I think it's, I think it's been attributed to, um, to Nelson Mandela, um, but, um, and you've probably heard it, but, um, you know, it's like, you know, what are we afraid of? And basically like the gist is, is like, we're afraid of ourselves. We're afraid of the light that's inside of us, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and that we have anything to offer mm-hmm. and, and, and we have anything worth, um, listening to, 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we kind of, we, we vary it in what we ought, what we think we ought to do, what the world tells us what we ought to do or, or what we, sh- you know, whatever, what we should, um, what's right and what's proper and what looks normal. And I think, so we, we get so bogged down with, um, with maybe what the world is telling us, what is normal for you to do that we don't even take, we don't take that risk, you know, and it is, it's a big risk to like go inside yourself and say, okay, this is who I am. This is what I love. And this is how, you know, like, this is what I think I have to offer. And then that is letting, letting your light shine. You know, it's also the parable, you know, like of the, of the three servants, you know, with, um, you know, with the talents, talents, you know, and I think a lot of us, and you could be whatever, you know, like I, I think about my sister right now and she'd probably be embarrassed. I'm saying this, but you know, like, um, she has her doctorate, her doctorate in physical therapy, you know, like literally the uh, Nigerian dream, you know, like that's I mean, when a Nigerian parent, you know, has kids is like, Oh, this is what my kid's going to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, but my, my sister, you know, like, she could have just done that and like been done with it, but she really looked inside of herself. And now she's, you know, writing, you know, screenplays and like really going after that dream, you know, and who, you know, who knows it could, it could fail, but now she's like, she's not just writing it and like putting it in her drawer and never showing anybody, you know, like she's, you know, she's entering into, you know, contests and film, film festivals and all that stuff and getting great, you know, feedback and winning a couple of them, getting, you know, play, you know, getting, you know, becoming a finalist and some of them like, it's a big deal, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. so it is, but it's risky, you know, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. You know, my first record, I was terrified, you know, like terrified (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I, you know, who knows, like, what are, you know, what, um, what are, what are people going to say, you know, um, is this good enough? You know, when you have also when you, when you, you know, for me, I have a lot of friends who are great at what they do, you know, like who are great musicians and songwriters and, you know, and so like the comparison, you know, even within your creativity, you know, and, um, I think for this record, um, more than any other record, uh, it was funny cause I was just me and I was just last night, me and my wife, I was just going through my computer and I was going through the old demos for shine. And, um, I, I mean, I think I started writing, I started writing shine, like some songs if like before we, we met, but a lot of it was like during, you know, our dating and, um, engagement and, you know, all that stuff. And so, um, but so some of them, she hadn't heard the demo version, you know, she'd heard like the, you know, whatever. And so I'm going back and just playing all the, all the demos and she's like, they sound very similar to what was on the record, which is a very new thing for me because in the past it was like, I write a song and then, um, and then I go to a producer. I'm like, okay, this, you know, here's the songs, you know, and I give him like an acoustic version, you know, like acoustic guitar voice, that's it. And so this is the first time I was actually trying to produce a song and I had a clear vision for a whole record. And I knew where I wanted to put place things and, and all that stuff. And so I just got together with a producer who knew more and like made it better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really cool for me to go back to those demos and like, you know, like vapor, you know, which really didn't change a whole lot, you know, mm-hmm. um, from the demo, it sounds better. Cause obviously it's done like in a, you know, but um, aside from that, like there's not really a whole lot of things that 
or different, you know? And mm-hmm. so that was for me, um, you know, like that, you know, that line, you know, like, um, help me find, help me find my light, you know, it's buried inside mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And even as a creative person, like you said, I'm still seeking. I feel like I'm still seeking them, you know, like, who am I? You know, like, what's, what am I trying to say? You know, not what, uh, what not what people want me to say. And this is the first record because I have this kind of dual thing. I'm a worship leader, you know, and, but the songs that I write, this probably wouldn't hear at church, especially mm-hmm. this record. Right. Um, and so you're probably not going to hear Vapor at, a, at Mass, um, <laughs> your table, probably not. Um, but that's okay. You know, like I think, um, um, even within, in this world, um, creativity, I think is a big deal and, Mm -hmm. um, stories are important and Mm -hmm. your voice and your light is important. And, uh, you know, the church used to be a huge, and I still think can be a huge proponent of art, you know, and, um, you know, some of the most beautiful art, you know, came from, you know, church. And so, you know, for me, um, for me to even say I, this is something that's valid, and I think this is art and cr- and something creative that is valid and that is is worthy being heard, mm-hmm. is uh, it, even me saying that is like, you know, like don't let that shine be taken away from you. You know, like can I tell you a, a really cool story? I, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I listen to a lot of worship music, yeah, right? Yeah, um, and and all kinds, you know, all you know, all, all variety. Matt Marr, your stuff, yeah, um, Hill songs, you know, just all of it, you know, right. Um, and you know, I, I listen to it with my kids, and a lot of times they get kind of get get over it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And last night we were driving home from oh, so the first time I played Shine for you, yeah. for, for the uh, for the kids, uh-huh. they were like, "You know this guy," <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've known him for a long time. And I'm like, wow, dad, I'm, this is, this is okay. This is kind of cool. You know? <laughs> and you know, my, my oldest is almost 13. So this is like really important. To yeah. Her, yeah. Know, yeah. It feels cool. And then last night we were driving home from a, a big event that we had put on, helped put on at church. Um, and, and she was sitting in the front seat and she goes, Hey, can we, can we listen to some music? And I'm like, you know, I, I really, I, I, I either want, silence or I want, I want, we can listen to worship music. And she goes, well, is shine worship music? <laughs> and I said, yes, it is. <laughs> you know? And, uh, right. and so we, we, we rocked it out, man. Um, you know, and you mentioned something earlier <clears throat> and you've, you've actually mentioned it a few different times about risk taking mm-hmm. and about facing failure and facing your fear. And obviously everything hasn't gone swimmingly in your music career over the last 20 years. It's taken time. It's taken patience. It's taken setbacks. So what kind of um, setbacks have you had to, to face? And then what, how did you make the choice to continue moving forward? Yeah. I mean, setbacks I think are just kind of part of the, you know, the thing doesn't matter what genre of music you're in. It's just, that's just what happens. You, you know, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be, you know, fail. and so, um, but I, you know, the, the setbacks for me, um, I mean, they haven't been as far as like music wise, they haven't been like huge, you know, like, um, at the same time, I do think, 
you know, there's just kind of like the invisible setbacks that maybe you don't really see. And, you know, like maybe you didn't get this gig or, you know, you didn't get that tour. Or, um, you know, this record, exec- this record label executive didn't like this, song, you know, which has happened, you know, and, um, you know, I'm an independent artist and my first record was done with, um, OCP. And, but since then I've been independent and, um, my, you know, the record before shine, I tried really try to, you know, um, get signed to a label. And, um, that was, uh, it didn't, it just didn't happen. You know, um, we had a lot of great meetings, um, a lot of promise it seemed like, and then it didn't happen. And, And I just remember feeling, I remember feeling, well, you know, it just, it hurts. It hurts to be told, you know, and, you know, so, so you know, a couple of people, you know, a couple of record labels said straight up, this is not what we're looking for. Great. You know, um, but then some just ignored me after showing a lot of excitement and then I just got ignored, you know, and so, you know, like that happens and um, it's a blow to your ego, you know, you, you think, yeah, I'm, what I'm doing is trash and it is what it is and that's fine. Um, and so for me in that moment, I had to really, um, you know, like I had some, I had some great people in my life who encouraged me, you know, um, and he said, it's, it's fine. Like you don't, you know, and, and, uh, it really helped shape me now. Like when I look at shine, you know, like I did, I went in, we went, I went into that project into not thinking about anybody like it wasn't like okay i gotta write this for this you know like maybe this label Nah, i was like you know what and that for me that was like it's not it wasn't trying to be um it wasn't like a uh like a spite thing you know like it wasn't like i don't need you guys it was like no i'm not gonna i'm not going to conform to what i think this niche you know group wants you know like i'm gonna do i'm gonna do me and i'm gonna do what's authentic to me, you know? Um, but that took, you know, having that took rejection, you know, like I had to, you know, like that took that rejection and, and, and really kind of like a little bit of despair, you know, um, knowing that I thought I did something great and maybe a lot of people didn't. Mm -hmm. And that maybe affected my career in one way or another. Um, at the same time, I, I just, I was like, I just got to keep moving, you know, like it's okay, you know? And, um, you know, so the, you know, facing that rejection is hard, you know, but, um, it can also be, uh, it can also be so good, you know? Mm Um, and I think different people deal with rejection in one way or another, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, but honestly, I feel like that, that setback that sucked, but, I mean, probably the biggest, you know, like blow to me, it wasn't even about music. It was, you know, my dad died almost five mm-hmm. years ago, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, more than anything that has reshaped, you know, and, and um, reformed. And that, 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 that was the, that was a moment that was a setback, you know, mm-hmm. um, I went through a lot of things then, you know, I thought I started having, you know, severe anxiety. I thought I was going to have to quit, you know, music. Um, you know, being in the, in the kind of the Christian genre and like, you know, working as a worship leader as well, I went through an intense faith struggle, something that I'm still kind of crawling out of and doubted straight up doubted God. A lot of days didn't believe, you know, um, 
and uh, <clears throat> didn't know if I was going to be able to continue. And, and in fact, made a, uh, you know, I made a, I, I did, I was thinking, I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And went through a really dark time. And, uh, you know, on the, on the outside, I just, ha- I had to put on a brave face, you know, and a month after my dad died, I was playing something, you know, in DC at the, at the, oh, what's it called? Um, March for life thing or whatever, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, in front of like 30,000, 20,000 people. And it was like, I was so fed up. I was done. I looked out and I was like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> this is, you know, and, um, you know, that continued for years and, uh, and it's something that I still to this day struggle with, you know, um, because life has setbacks, right. You know, like life has, you know, these major detours that you just didn't expect and mm-hmm. they just derail you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, you know, it, it, with that kind of devastation in my life, it has also formed me, you know, just mm-hmm. like the racism that I experienced when I was, you know, that I experienced and, um, you know, when I was a kid and had and continued experience like losing my dad, you know, and watching my parents struggle, you know, you know, all these things form the person that you are, but they are setbacks at the same time, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, did I learn? Have I learned? Have I grown, you know, mm-hmm. from, you know, my dad's death? Sure. Would I, would I trade all that for just to have my dad back? <laughs> yes. You know, mm-hmm. um, nobody wants to go through pain, you know, but mm-hmm. pain is part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's what you do with it, you know, like what you do. And as an artist, 100%, yeah. 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 And as an artist, as a creative person, um, that has become, that has become an outlet, you know, and I, I wanted to make something, you know, that like, um, yeah, that just, that honored the journey, you know, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. um, at the end of it, at the end of, you know, shine was, you know, that title was, you know, it's simple, but it's, it's just that, you know, like out of darkness and despair and doubt and rejection, Mm -hmm. you know, shine, you know, like, well, I want to affirm you because your gifts are having an impact. Um, you know, it's, it's refreshing. Thank you. Um, and it's refreshing to see how my kids engage with your music Thank you. um, and, and the, and the powerful truth that is coming to light through your lyrics. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it, it's really, really powerful and will continue, I think to have a lasting uh, impact. You know, so I think it's going to be one of those albums that is, is one of those go-tos that, that is timeless. Yeah. Good. And so I think that you are really responding to the gifts that, that, have been in you. It's like this, you know, you have this little bell that's going off in you and, and you responded and you took action and, you know, people encouraged you. And I love that you use that word because it literally means add to the heart. Mm. And, um, and that's what you do, even in the midst of struggle yeah. is you add to other people's hearts. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, it's good to not be alone in that journey. Speaking of not being alone, you did. You are a rec- relatively recent newlywed. I am. Yeah. What is the most surprising, joyful, um, awesome thing you've learned about marriage so far? Um, <laughs> man, 
I didn't know how cool it was going to be. Um, yeah, I didn't know how cool it was going to be. You know, like I'm, you know, I was 34 when I got married. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I was kind of resigned to the fact that, oh, it's not going to happen. And, you know, like it's probably better that way because like, I just want to live my life. And, you know, like, I just want to like, you know, I'm not gonna be able to have fun, you know, like when I'm, you know, married and uh, it's like tied down. Yeah. I'm tied down. <laughs> you know, all this, all the stupid language that happens in our culture and old ball yeah. and chain and all that crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, it's like just been the best thing ever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, how has it freed you? Uh, I, oh, that's, yeah, that's a great, um, question because the question is the answer. It has just freed me like mm-hmm. from all the things, you know, from, you know, to, to, to have someone who loves you, like just loves you, not because of what you can do or, you know, anything, but just loves you, you know, like there's like a new confidence and a new freedom that I've never really felt, you know, mm. before. Um, I, it's given everything that I do context you know, and, and scope, you know, like when I'm making a record, when I'm out on the road, it doesn't seem fruitless. There's like a point to it now, like mm-hmm. marriage, you know, marriage is given it, is given it purpose, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, like just marriage in, in and of itself and then having a partner who's just, a you know, just BA, you know, who's just amazing. <laughs> and, you know, there's like, uh, you know, you know, get married 21, 35, doesn't matter. But there's, there's just like something great when you find the right one, you know, and you're just mm-hmm. like, ah, founder, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. what's your wife's name again? Her name is Mallory. Mallory. Yeah. Cause I have not, I've only, I've only met her via Instagram. Via Instagram. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I, uh, I, I want to say congratulations. And it's obviously that, you know, the, the joy that's been, that marriage has brought out of yeah. you is, is apparent to, uh, to everyone yeah. who follows you and, and people definitely need to go out and buy the album. Uh, it is, it is not what you think it might be when you hear Christian genre. It's, yeah. it's uh, remarkable. In fact, iTunes didn't even put it in the Christian genre. It's not no, in that. We didn't. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. We did that on purpose. Yeah. We did that on yeah, purpose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's alternative album, but yeah. it's, messages are universally true yeah yeah and um and the album and the content and the production the quality everything is just super rich you know i love turning it up and letting the the bass <laughs> hit, you know a lot of bass yeah <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome yeah you know i uh, i always wrap things up with the same three questions yeah. for every single guest and the first question is if you could pick if Icondolo can pick any skill set that he currently possesses, but turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Skill set that I possess turn it into a superpower. That is a great question. Okay. Um, well, I I play instruments. So it would be cool if I could uh, play like a guitar. And like make people like do things with it. Like <laughs> it like it's like a super emotion thing. So like I can play like a sad song and like literally within like a freaking one mile radius, everyone just gets really sad. You know, or like I play like a happy song and everyone gets literally, that'd be like I get some stuff, you know, like you'd be able to do some stuff with that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> that's a first. Nobody's answered that. <laughs> uh, if 
you know, there, what are three lies? The next question, what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from fully setting free our God-given potential? Mm. You, um, you're not good enough. Um, nobody cares. And, uh, also, um, you're not good enough. Nobody cares. There's one other that, um, you're not good enough. Nobody cares. And, uh, you're useless or Mm. yeah. Yeah. I guess that goes with, you're not good enough, but Mm. yeah, I think those are the, those are the, those are the lies, you know, especially, you know, nobody cares. What do you think are the remedies to those lies? I don't know. Honestly, like, I mean, I think there's the, the normal things of, you know, prayer and, you know, surrounding yourself with people who are an encouragement to your life. Um, but the remedy, I think, ultimately is just turning the lies around and believing literally like a mantra is like, I am good enough. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like I, I, I'm not useless. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will care. That's the hard mm-hmm. thing because mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, like you can do the self-help, like I am good enough, but then it's like, no, what I say and what I believe and who I am matters to other mm-hmm. people. That's when it's like, you know, but you have to just like, no, this isn't, you know, mm-hmm. people are going to think this is important. This mm-hmm. is, you know, like I, I do matter to others, mm-hmm. you know? And so, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, I think that's the hard one that you have to like, mm-hmm. it's like, you really do have to like hammer it in yourself yeah. and, and walk boldly in that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Even if it changes one life, because you never know what that one life changed. Exactly. Exactly. The last question is a. It comes from the title of a book called "How Will You Measure Your Life?" Mm. But don't answer the question yet, because before we hit record, I asked you what your favorite art form was besides music, and you said dance. I did. So, if you, it's a hundred years from now, Uh and you've left a set of instructions for a choreographer Mm. to to answer that question for you in the form of dance, what instructions would you leave him or her? Oh. <laughs> okay, you're going to have to repeat this again. Okay, the question is, how will you measure your life? Uh-huh. But it's 100 years from now, and the way you answer that question is in the form of a dance using instructions you've left for a choreographer. Mm. Mm. What would those instructions say? What elements would you want? What kind of music? Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh. Well, I think I would leave the core. I would say the core to the choreographer. It can't just be one style. Like there has to be like a like if the, if this dance is going to represent me, it's got you've got to go through just tons of different styles. <laughs> I love you it. know, like that's. That's just, you know, like, that's just me, you know, like, it, you know, I could, it can't just be one form. Like, yeah, I want a little bit of hip hop. I want a little bit of uh, classical. I want a little bit, I want some step, I want some uh, tap dancing. I want some, I want some stepping. Like, I want mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. these things, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, it can't just be one thing, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to make it a, 
a real movement of mm-hmm. um, of dance. So mm-hmm. that that was it. A, symf- a symphony, a symphony, if you will, yes. of yes. of yes. dance. Yes, I love it. Ike, this has been a blast, dude. Thank you so much for joining us yeah. and for sharing your story. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.